This morning we're going to talk about Christ-controlled emotions. We were to have learned uh, how God wants us to have as our priority earthly relationship who? Our husband. Our husband, right? Because it was all about marriage. And that Christ wants the, wants the Lord to be the head of all of our feelings. And so that we give him all of our negative feelings and so that we can speak and act in loving ways to the ones closest to us, especially to our husbands, okay? And so I know that the, the first chapter or the first section started out with the power of the tongue, okay? And I love the verse that goes with that. It says, the tongue is the power of life and of death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The next one we went to was uh, handling conflict, right? Handling conflict. In Proverbs 19.13, which my dad used to recite to my mom. How bad is this? Listen to this. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping, Mary, he would say. And then mom would quick, quick go look in Proverbs. You know what it says? Well, husband, you got to sit in the corner. If you, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it was really sweet. It was, it was a fun thing. They went back and forth. All right, the next one is about what? Okay, managing anger. Okay, about managing anger, Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down, right, on your anger. Uh, do not let the sun go down, actually, while you're still angry. Anger is an emotion that we have been given by God. Remember, it's Christ-controlled emotions. Anger is not bad. Anger is an emotion that he has given to us. It's when it says to be angry, but do not what? Sin. Excellent. You can be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Now, there's the key. So you have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in you. See, Jesus had righteous anger all the time when he was walking the earth, but he would never sin because he's all God. On the other hand, when we are angry, we can step over the boundary and then sin, can't we? So we have to be very, very careful of how we're walking in that. Living a worry-free life. Matthew 6, 34 says this, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? Isn't that just joyful? <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow because, quite frankly, we got enough trouble right now. Right? <laughs> so, so why worry about tomorrow? Because we got a lot of stuff going on like when you're walking out the door. Right? So life is pretty much we're coming into a problem. We're in a problem. We're going out of a problem. We're coming into a problem. We're in a problem. We're going out of a problem, right? I mean, that's pretty much the fallen world. And that's why Christ needs to control our emotions. Because, you know, we are wonderfully made, especially women, with incredible feelings, right? And, and a cycle that happens every 30 days about, right? <laughs> and, then, and then it allows us to realize that we better let Christ control our emotions, right? I am so thankful that he's the one that can control our emotions, that they're God-given to us. And the best part of it all is your last section was on forgiveness, which is what we're going to talk about today. Because when you blow all the other four that we just talked about, there's that wonderful restart button, right? Dink. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, it is tremendous. You know, uh, he says um, in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, including your husband, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgives you. There's always, always forgiveness because of what he's done on the cross first for us, and then we can give it to each other horizontally. How cool is that? Isn't that just the best? And, you know, when, when you're walking, I mean, to sin is so human. 
But to forgive is so divine, is so divine. And so when we are walking through and, and giving him our emotions and letting Christ control them, and then we blow it, there's still another. There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. And we run to that person and ask them for forgiveness. So that's what we're going to learn about today. So let's start with prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that you are here, that you love us, that you are, you made us for you, we're made in your image, and that you are here at this very moment, that you've planned this time and this place before the creation of time, and I so thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for every precious woman who is here today, and Lord, you are trusting me with them, and I am trusting you with them, because uh, you're the one who's the life changer, you're the one who's the life giver. You are the one um, whose words uh, just pour into us, Lord, and, and read us as, as we are in your word. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that you'd still us, that you would uh, keep us uh, from thinking of anything that's going on afterwards, of, um, of the children, of whatever is on our mind, Lord, that you would absolutely make us all here right now. And so, Lord Jesus, I just give myself over to you. I, uh, I want only to share what your words are because my words don't mean a thing, Lord Jesus, and your words are life-changing. And so, Lord, I ask that you would uh, just um, even take me away, Lord, that they'd only see you uh, in and through me, Jesus. So talk to us, speak to us, encourage us, convict us, um, motivate us. And, Lord, if, if someone is here that doesn't know the forgiveness first from you, from you, from what you have done on the cross for us, Lord, personally. Lord, may today be their day of salvation, their day of knowing how much they are loved, knowing how much they are already forgiven, and all they need is to accept the gift of that forgiveness through you. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for going before us, and I thank you for this incredible time that we're going to have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Okay, a little better. Amen? Okay, you guys are going to get there soon. Come on, I've been up since 4. Come on, let's go. Used to get up at 3.30, but today I got up at 4, right? right. Got to get the zeal of the Lord. That's how he made the earth, by his zeal. That's enthusiasm, right? Okay, I know you guys are all mommed out, right? <laughs> I just send mine to school on the way now, right? And so we are going to, uh, together, learn about forgiveness. And uh, Philip Yancey, I've read a couple of his books. He's a great author. He says this about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is a way of admitting I'm human. I make mistakes. And then he goes on to say, I want to be granted that privilege, and so I grant you that privilege. And there are two incredible examples of forgiveness that God brings to my heart all the time. Do you guys know a Corey Ten Boom? Do you remember her? She was this um, incredible woman who hid Jewish people in her family's house during uh, when the Nazis were during the war. And Corey Ten Boom tells a story of when she met a former Nazi officer. And she had known him because he had abused her as well as her sister when they were in imprisonment. And um, he made them assist in deaths of other prisoners. And he told her that he had become a Christian. He came up to her and he said, Corey, I have become a Christian and I want to ask you 
for forgiveness. And Corey recoiled and just stopped. And then the surge of the Holy Spirit went through her, and she put her hand out and said to this gentleman, I forgive you. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. To sin is human. To forgive is divine. She did that in obedience to God as she extended her hand towards him and forgave him. The other one is Chuck Colson. Do you know Chuck Colson? He was the hitman for Nixon during his... uh, his presidency, and if you remember the whole Watergate scandal, reading about the Watergate scandal, well, he came to Christ when he was put in prison because of that. And then after he got out of prison, he founded, which is called Prison Fellowship now, which is incredible, uh, where they get into prisons and they share the love of Jesus Christ with these men, and these men come out changed forever. And so the story is that uh, there was was a graduating time for inmates of Prison Fellowship. And a lady in the audience, her name was Mrs. Washington. And when this one gentleman came up and was graduating as a prisoner inmate from prison fellowship, she saw him and recognized him, and she swept up to the stage, and she threw her arms around him and said, You are my adopted son. And the whole audience went very quiet and teared up because they knew that this man had murdered Mrs. Washington's daughter. And Mrs. Washington said to him, I forgive you. I forgive you. Forgiveness. Supernatural. Only from God. Accounts like this are absolutely amazing. How could people like Corey and Mrs. Washington walk through and endure such great injustices only to embrace them and then to turn around and to forgive those villains? Well, because they had allowed the God of the universe to change them, to change them from the inside out, and to wonderfully allow Christ to control their emotions, moment by moment by moment, so they could do the next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing, because that's obedience, doing the next right thing. See, they just purely obeyed the command that I read about in Ephesians 4.32, which says, forgive each other, Just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's a command. We're to forgive. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Forgive each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And that same verse applies to us today, right? We need to forgive from our hearts as Jesus has come and forgiven us. And so he did that by taking the sin of all of us on himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have that gift forever and ever and ever, so that we, in turn, then, could forgive one another. Charles Spurgeon, I love reading his old sermons. He's an old English preacher. He says this, Let us go to Calvary. Calvary is where the cross was. Let us go to Calvary to learn how we may be forgiven, but let us linger there, let us stay there, to learn how to forgive. We go there to learn how we may be forgiven, but we stay at the cross to learn how to forgive. Romans 5, 8 says it like this, but God demonstrated his love for us, for you and I, while we were still sinners, he died for us. So for us, forgiving others, especially in the marriage context, what that means is we're willing to live 
with the consequences of our husband's sin. We are willing to live with the consequences of our husband's sin or our mom's sins or our dad's sins or our sister's sins or our friend's sins. In other words, forgiving others means we are willing, we've made a choice that we are willing to live with the consequences of that person's sin. My question to you today is, are you willing to live that out with the one God gave you? Are you willing to walk through it and live it out with the one that God gave you? You know, because we're talking about sin, I use this a lot, that sin is spelled little tiny s, great big I, little tiny n, right? Because sin is I on the throne. How does this affect me, right? Everything's about me. And so, you know, you, you know who is crouching behind that door ready to absolutely destroy your marriage because he hates marriage because God invented it, right? You know that the toothless lion wants to do that. And so you need to be ready to want to please Jesus and walk in the forgiveness of that. There are reasons why we should forgive. First of all, he forgave us, right? So in turn, we need to forgive. But there are two reasons. One is, is when we forgive, it helps us grow up. It helps us mature in our faith. It takes our character to that next level, okay? And God's intention in our marriage is that we hang in there. We hang in there together and that we grow up. In other words, in Colossians 3, Paul says it like this. Bear with each other, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And you know, sometimes I think it's a lot easier for me to forgive Brian, my husband of 22 years now, than it is for me to bear with him. Okay, because... You know, the bear part, see, they're not doing anything morally wrong. It's just their quirks. And I realize his quirks aren't my quirks. That bugs me. Your quirks should be my quirks. See, forgiveness is so divine, and then we need to bear with one another. And I remember when I first met Brian. uh, Anybody married to an engineer? Oh, I need say nothing more. <laughs> okay, for all the rest of you, all right. When I first met Brian 25 years ago, I lived in a condo in Shorewood and he lived in a, in a home, in a house. Not in a home. It sounded like he was like, <laughs> he lived in a home. <laughs> he lived in his own house. And uh, he would come over to my place and he'd open up the dishwasher and he'd rearrange the dishes in my dishwasher. And I'd just go, well, uh, Okay, you say, well, my girl, look, makes perfect sense. I mean, you've got the cups here and this here. You can get 10 more dishes in, which, quite frankly, did make perfect sense. But it, like, bothered me, right? Gets in your craw, right? It's like, okay, all right? But did he do anything morally wrong? No, see, you bear with one another, okay? And so, you know, that's 25 years ago, okay? He occasionally does that now, rarely, But he occasionally does that now. And, you know, we went to, we're always checking up on our marriage. It's a good, good thing. We went to a retreat or like a full-day retreat in Madison about a month ago. And it was by Mark Gungor. And it's called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. I am telling you, 
You need to go. Has anybody ever gone? It's phenomenal because it's, it's laugh your way to a better marriage. And you know, as women, we love to go to retreats. We love to fellowship. You know, it's just like in us, right? Right? The guys are like, whoa, something on marriage. Whoa, whoa, right? This guy absolutely speaks to the guy. I mean, because he's funny. He's, he's incredibly funny. And what he does in the beginning is he puts, he puts a pillar here and a pillar over here, and it's a bust of a man's head, and it's a bust of a woman's head. And he talks about the man brain and woman brain, and you are dying because it's so funny, right? And it's so true. And it's not that you're wrong. It's how God has created each of you in his image. And it was so fun to see at the end, he did, uh, he did um, what your passions are, you know, personally. And it falls under four. Let's see. You were fun, peace, control, perfect. And you can be a combination of two usually, okay? So guess which one I was? Fun! Fun! Everything. Glasses half full. Let's go. Let's do Oh, absolutely, Brian. This, this, this. And then secondary was peace. Wanting everybody, you know, let's get along. I mean, if anything's wrong between us, we have to figure it out now. Okay, now, oh, I'm sorry, did you say, oh, right, I want to figure, and Brian wants to just, like, let it go for a while and come back, and I'm like, did I do something? Let's go to forgiveness, right? Brian, on the other hand, is control and perfect, okay? Now, those are not bad things. I know you're thinking, oh, control. No, control means that you just do things well. In other words, everything that you touch, it pretty much comes easily to you, okay? And perfect means not only does it come easily to you, but you do it right. You do it right. And so as an engineer, that's perfect. Or if you're a doctor, you're know, a brain surgeon, you're a pianist, you're an Olympian, right? You do things right because you practice and practice and practice and make it right, right? And that's why he wants to make the dishes right because there's a right way to do that, right? Or if we're putting up, you know, a beautiful piece of artwork in our great room or something, and I'm saying, oh, honey, would you help me with this? You know, I've got ready. By the time... He's gotten like his T-square, plumb line, blue, you know, he's out in the garage getting, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Doing, 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 doing. It's up. Brian comes in. What? Right? Like, so look great? Right? I mean, that's okay. Those you have to bear with one another, right? You guys, it's just how God created us in his image. And what happens as you originally were very attracted to that because you filled in each other's gaps. Very attracted to that. Okay? Are you kidding? He was very attracted to that because he was not one that just was spontaneous or go and do this, this. And so he's very attracted to me that way. And on the other hand, he could wonderfully, you know, do his checkbook well. I could not. That's good. And 22 years later, right, you look at those or you can as, oh, you know what? He's not like me. I don't like that. Do you see how that turns? Do you see that? And so the Lord says, you know what? You need to bear with each other. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. And it's in that context of committed relationships like your husband and you, where we either learn to be kind, we learn to be patient, we learn to be loving, or we blow apart. Or we blow apart. And quite frankly, 50% divorce rate amongst evangelical Christians, the same as it is with the rest of the world. How sad is that? How sad is that? See, loving each other means that we're inevitably going to need to forgive one another. Okay, it's part of loving each other. And that we keep on forgiving. Like Jesus instructed Peter in Matthew uh, 18, right? I love Peter. You know, I I can just see Peter and Jesus saying, okay, here's what you're going to do. And and Peter goes, well, how many times do I got to forgive this jerk? I can just see him, right? I mean, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I've forgiven him once, twice, three times. 
How about seven times? And I think he's thinking, yeah, that's good. I'll forgive him the same offense seven times. And Jesus looks at him so sweetly. I can just see his face. It's like, oh, Peter, not seven times. Seven times 77, which means whatever offense happens, you forgive them again and forgive them again and forgive them again. And you may be tempted to have a written log of every time that you have forgiven them. And then go back and look at that. And he says, you know what? Don't do that. I want you to forgive as I forgave you. Fully, totally, completely. Time and time again. So it may seem unfair that it seems like maybe you're always the one doing the forgiving. It may seem unfair to that. But forgiveness calls us to grow up, grow up in character, grow up in our faith. And ultimately, that is so pleasing to God. You're putting a big old smile on his face. In Colossians 3, it says, right, we're working for the Lord and not for man. I remember my mom numerous times when I'm, I was a, a little kid. That was the years of magic spray starch. And you'd, you'd you know, it, and my dad was a businessman with all these white shirts piled. And my mom, and she'd keep ironing. And she'd be singing, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. I'd look at her and say, Mom, I mean, you've got, how can you be? She goes, oh, honey, I'm not ironing these shirts for your dad. I'm ironing them for Jesus. See, that's the key. That's the key. We grow up in character because we want to please him. We want to please him because, after all, he wants us to be conformed to the likeness of his son, to the likeness of his son. A changed life, excuse me, of Christ-controlled emotions. And secondly, the reason forgiveness is so important is because it keeps bitterness away. It keeps bitterness away. And know what the definition of bitterness is? It is this, a feeling of deep anger and ill will. A feeling of deep anger and ill will. And in the close confinements of our homes, trust me, we're going to say or do things that are offensive to our husband or vice versa. In fact, I am sure half of us did that this morning. It will happen. And even the best of us will feel hurt, rejected, put down. And then what happens is a root of bitterness, it says in Hebrews, The writer from Hebrews says, a root of bitterness will spring up and it will defile many. And you know what that means, defile many? It means it will make filthy, it will pollute, it will affect everyone around you, it will puke out over them because of your bitterness. And our unforgiveness grows to bitterness and it will affect everyone in your family, in your sphere of influence, Wherever you are, it will affect everyone. And it erupts, and you can see it throughout the whole United States. It erupts in anger, it erupts in disease, it erupts in stress, and it erupts in pain, doesn't it? And bitterness just continues to grow. I remember I have two sisters. They're 11 and 12 years older than me, and uh, Marilyn and Marcia. Isn't that cute? Marilyn, Marcia, Marco. Mom's name Mary, dog's name Misty. All M's. Dad was Foster, Eugene. What happened to him? So, and Marilyn called me, and she, one of those seething kind of calls where you, you like, talk through your teeth, and she's like, Margo, 
I cannot forgive Roger. Look, listen, listen, look what he did. And this, this, this. And Roger is her husband. And I'm on the other end of the line. And all I'm doing is praying, Lord, give me your words. Give me your words. And this, this. Why are you there? <laughs> yeah, Mary, I'm here. Yeah, okay, well, all right. Well, did you hear what I said? Did you already did? And, yeah, I did. Well, what are you going to, don't you agree? And I mean, just, and I just kindly said, you know, Marini, um, you have a choice to forgive him or not. And you have a choice to say, you know, Lord, if Roger never changes, Lord, change me. If Roger never changes, change me. If Brian never changes, change me. If Jay never changes, change me. Are you willing to say that? See, bitterness is like swallowing a bottle of poison, <laughs> hoping the other person will die. And you're the one dying. You're swallowing a bottle of poison, hoping the other person will die. You know, I remember when Brian and I um, had first met, and um, he's an only child. Uh, he lived in a town of 33 people in northwest Iowa called Langdon. Uh, I grew up, born in New Jersey, grew up in Philadelphia, moved to Madison. Uh, big city chick meets little farm boy in, in Milwaukee at a bank of phones. And and as we realized that you know, God had put us together, uh, Brian's parents didn't realize that. And uh, Brian's mother absolutely hated me. I mean, we got married in Maui. Um, it was like idyllic, and they did not come, and they didn't come to the reception. And, and uh, for eight years, Gladys would call me and uh, share about how awful I am. And she had inordinate affection for, her, for um, my husband, Brian, for her son. Nothing weird, nothing abusive, just inordinate affection. And I had come to, to ruin that. On top of that, I wore makeup, and you weren't supposed to do that. And I mean, there were all these things, as well as if anybody knows my testimony, uh, I didn't come to Christ till I was 31 years old. And... Uh, I had been, um, I mean, nobody had to tell me I was a sinner. And my mom had, to, had prayed for me years and years and years and years until I had come to Christ. And she had laid me at the foot of the cross, and, and I had uh, come to him uh, as he always does in his loving kindness. And I had gone through um, marriage when I was just out of college, uh, another marriage when uh, I married a gentleman with 52-inch uh, chest and 19-inch arms, and and uh, extremely abusive, physically, mentally, and emotionally to me. And so everyone knew my background until I had come to know Jesus Christ personally and passionately and powerfully and then preeminently over my life. And so Gladys would call all of my family and tell everybody what a jerk I was. And my family was like, oh, yeah, we know Margo. Yeah, she was a jerk. Absolutely. She did this, 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 this. So it wasn't anything new that they were telling, that she was telling them. And so she did this for eight years. One day she called and, and she said, you know, Margo, I really wish you were dead. And I said, you know, Gladys, 
this is not productive conversation at this time. And I said, I love you, and I need to hang up, and we'll talk later. And I got off the phone. I'm like, Lord, what? I want to wring her neck. What is this? You know, I don't want to lose my testimony with her, though, Lord. I don't want to lose my testimony with her. I may be the only Jesus that she ever sees. So, God, don't let me lose my testimony. This is, a, let's see, fast forward to 15 years ago. She needed to go in for back surgery, routine back surgery, and it didn't end up being routine. She died twice on the table. They had to flip her over. They accidentally cut through um, a major artery and a vein. It was, it was, she had a 10% chance of living. She had um, water weight of 70 pounds. Brian flew out there quickly. And uh, she had been intubated, but she was with it. And uh, in her hand was a letter. And in her other hand was a picture of our colleague. We didn't have kids yet, and so Brian said to the nurses, said, you need to have those taken out of your mom's hands because she needs all the strength she possibly can gather. And as the Lord would have it, that letter was written from my mom. And my mom had just wanted to encourage her in her surgery and encourage her, you know, about Jesus, tell her about how Jesus loves her, tell her about how she came to Christ, just how my mom would share. And Gladys had read that letter. And so Brian said, Mom, could I read that letter again to you? And she said, yeah. And so Brian read the whole letter and looked at his mom and said, Hey, Mom, you know, there's a very high probability that you're not going to make it. Wouldn't you like to know that you're going to go to heaven and be forever with Jesus? And she painstakingly wrote on this chalkboard, I already have. See, she was going to show Jesus when she got to heaven, that letter. I don't know how the collie got in there. (laughs) But she was going to show Jesus that letter. And then on the way back to the airport, Brian asked his dad, Dad, you know, this is really real. I mean, Jesus is really the way, the truth, and life. There's no one to the Father except through him. Don't you want to believe? Like mom's, like mom has, Margot. Margo's mom, there's only that way. And he said, yeah. So his only son got to lead his dad to Jesus. You guys, my mom and dad are in heaven. They've moved to heaven. But right now, my kids have wonderful grandma and grandpa that live in that same little 30-person town in Iowa that love Jesus. Were those eight years hard? Is worth it. It's always, always worth it to not be drinking the bottle of poison hoping that Gladys would die. But to see everything through his eyes and not how does this affect me. The blessings that pour from that is amazing because what we tend to do is we come up with excuses and more excuses. And, you know, we know that we should forgive. We know that we should forgive. We understand what God says about the importance of forgiveness. And what we do, we fight it. We fight it. Our pride gets in the way and we say, well, look at this. And we say, it's not fair. God, it's not fair. I could have said that numerous times to him. And I'm sure he did about Gladys. But you know what? 
It isn't fair. It isn't fair. We all live with the consequences of another person's sin. We all do, including the very first people that sinned, Adam and Eve. And if it wouldn't have been Adam and Eve, it would have been Brian and Margot. I promise you, because that's who we are. And on the marriage front, since it's God's will that we remain married, the only real choice that you and I have is if we want to live out those consequences of our husband's sin, either in the bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. What do you want to choose? The bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. That's our choice. Or another excuse I know I came up with, but you don't know how she hurt me or you don't know how my husband has hurt me. That's not the issue. That person may still hurt you. Gladys may still hurt me, but forgiveness is how you stop the pain. It's how you stop the pain. Where's your focus? Is it how does this affect me, or is it how can I be Jesus? How can I be Jesus to this person? Another excuse, I have to heal first. I have to get all right myself and heal from this, and you know what, then I'll be able to forgive. No. See, research, research shows over and over and over again that forgiveness brings healing. Forgiveness brings healing. I've talked to many people uh, that used to come into the fish, like from uh, counseling um, areas, because when we would do um, Extreme Makeover Life Edition and stuff, and they would come in and they would share with us that genuine repentance, once someone had come to genuine repentance, that means, please forgive me, and you turn and go the exact opposite way of what you've been going. Genuine repentance, the victory is already won. The victory is already won. Or another excuse is, I want revenge. I want revenge. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that God says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You know why? Because he's the one that evens the score. He's the one that knows their hearts. You know what? He's the one who will continue to work on them. Another excuse. Why should I let him off the hook? Why should I let him off the hook? Look what he did to me. Well, if you don't forgive, you're still hooked to that offense. You're still hooked to it. He's not. You're hooked to that. And you will gain freedom from the past when you let your husband off your hook. See, you need to remember that your husband isn't off God's hook. He's not off God's hook. See, you aren't God. God will deal with sin. God will deal with his sin. He knows how to restore your husband. He knows how to restore Gladys because he knows their hearts. Because he knows their hearts. And then lastly, one of the big excuses we use well, where's the justice in this? Where is the justice in this? It's in the cross. It's in the cross. That's the best ever. Jesus died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for my husband's sins. And yes, he died for my mother-in-law's sins. And you know, if my mother-in-law was the only person that ever lived, he would have died for her. And he loves her just as much as he loves me. 
Scott Wesley Brown wrote this chorus in Meet Me at the Foot of the Cross, and it says this. Meet me at the foot of the cross, where the ground is even for us all, where every root of bitterness melts into forgiveness, and every broken heart is made whole. Meet me at the foot of the cross. See, forgiveness cancels a debt someone owes us. It cancels that debt, and it restores relationships. And it is the only solution, ladies, in this incredible sin-ridden world and all kinds of evil to give us that restart. Restart in our marriage. Don't you love it when your computer is like just like a mess? It looks like a virus is trying to attack and you can see Norton Utility just going to work, going to work, going to work, going to work, right? And then you're like, okay, I need to restart. And you restart it and look at that. Whoa, there's my desktop. That's great. That's forgiveness. What a great picture. Restart. A complete, fresh restart button because we've experienced that wonderful, true forgiveness from the Lord. And the closer we connect to God and understand the forgiveness he's given to us, the more we're able to forgive each other because it has to be vertically first from him and then we can pass it on horizontally through us, okay? And our marriage... Listen carefully. Our marriage becomes a reflection of our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Our marriage becomes our own becomes, excuse me, a reflection of our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we need to check, am I following hard after him? Am I in the word? I mean, am I chewing on the word? Am I spending those secret hours in the morning with him? Am I becoming like him? Am I under the word and things like this? That's tremendous. Am I in prayer? Am I praying without, with, you know, without ceasing? Meaning, am I constantly knowing that I'm dependent on him and that from him and through him and to him are all things? And do you have that one goal in life, just one, to know Jesus personally, passionately, powerfully, and preeminently? That means overall. That means he's over your finances, he's over your marriage, he's over your children, he's over your family, he's over your career, he's over in ministry, he's over your friendships. One goal, and I promise you, everything else will flow out of that. Everything else will flow out of it. Remember, you are the only one who can keep yourself from being the person and the wife that God created you to be. He wants you to be the very best. He wants you to be the lamp on a lampstand that shines for him. And we, when, we, when, when we don't, let me, let me rephrase, we just don't forgive the other person for their sake. We forgive for our sake, for our emotional sake, our physical sake, our spiritual sake. All of those come into the complete realm of forgiveness. And if you assume responsibility of growing up in Christ and not wanting bitterness to grow and forgive those around you, especially that's closest to you, your husband, your family can be the kind of environment, I promise, because the Word of God says that everybody wins. Everybody wins. Let me close with this story about a time when everybody won in our house at a retreat at family it was a family retreat, and it was at Door County. 
and it was 15 years ago. And uh, Brian and I were there, and Steve and Colleen Sonderman, you know them, they're, uh, he's a pastor here, men's ministry, they were teaching on marriage. And at one point during the retreat, I think it was on Saturday morning, he asked each of us, it was a room like this, he asked each of us to go and sit in a certain spot and then write a letter to each other, okay, and share your inward thoughts and your your hopes and your dreams, like a love letter that you don't take time to do. And so people are all over, and I, of course, love to write Love to speak. This is, I'm like, I'm writing away, writing away. I look up, and Brian hasn't written one word. <laughs> now, I know he reads for factual stuff because he's an engineer. You know, I mean, I know this. And, I, and I'm like, oh, Lord, he's not even writing a word. Okay, I'll just keep writing. Okay, all right, I'm giving this over to you. And now I'm like, a little anxious. I'm like, okay, he hasn't written a word. So after about 10 minutes, we're all done. And Steve says, okay, now go ahead and start. And I figure, of course, he hasn't written a thing, so I should probably start. And so... Uh, I said, well, honey, he goes, well, could I start? I said, well, sure, absolutely. And he shared with me from his heart how a year prior he had been at Promise Keepers. And uh, he had asked Jesus to forgive him, but had never asked me for forgiveness. And so he proceeded to tell me about his struggle with lust and how God had incredibly delivered him from this bondage, but had not yet come to me and asked me for forgiveness. And it was like time stood still at that moment, that Brian and I were the only people in the whole universe at that point. And I said, Hunt, could I just be back in a minute? I just need to run to the bathroom. And it was a little resort with a little tiny bathroom that had a little tiny little wooden mirror above the toilet with a little sink. And I went into that bathroom and I threw up. And I started weeping and I started crying out to the Lord. And he had me look up. And all I could see was my vomit on my face. And God so allowed me to see how so forgiven I am of all my sin, of all my yuck, of everything that I had ever done. That how could I not forgive him? I saw my precious husband through the compassionate eyes of Jesus what I had done. And you know, the Bible says those who are forgiven much love much. So I cleaned myself up, went out, and my husband was a shell of a man sitting over in the corner area. And I went up behind him and I put my arms around him. And I said, oh honey, I so forgive you. I have been forgiven so many times. I am so thankful you shared that with me. I'm so thankful what God's doing in your life. I will be your biggest cheerleader. I will be right there for you. Thank you. And it was the best family retreat ever. Forgiveness is so worth it.
we decided we were going to go to breakfast, so we went to the White Gull Inn, but it was jammed and Brian was parking. And I went in to see if there was a place to sit and there wasn't. But I noticed that those really pretty white French mill kind of handmade soaps that they have out, I thought, oh, I'm going to grab that. And so I put on there the date and how forgiven he was and how much I loved him. And I gave that to him. And to this day, he still has it in any glove compartment of the car that he drives. When all is said and done, I had to give up my power. I had to give up my pride. I had to give up the hurt to be released from the grip of bitterness. And you know what Brian needed? He needed my unconditional love. In 1 Peter, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. And forgiveness is a choice that you make based on the forgiveness that you have received in Christ Jesus already. And I am convinced, I am convinced one of God's primary keys that unlocks marriages is the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. See, you will be living in the power of that changed life and in the power of Christ controlled emotions. And I want to tell you the addendum to that story. A couple years ago, we went to a couple's retreat. We go to a lot of retreats, don't we? We went to a couple's retreat. I just thought, wow, let's go. We went to a couple's retreat. And once again, I don't know who was speaking. It was all like, hey, guys, tell what the best thing is that your wife ever did for you. Right? And all these guys are standing up, oh, my 40th birthday, and she did this incredible surprise, and all this kind of stuff. Oh, and you know, we went on this vacation, and she like, planned it all, so I didn't have to plan. I mean, all these tremendous things. You know, some kind of birthday cake. One guy was so excited that she had bleached the whole bathroom. I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> Kindest thing ever, come to my house, right? I'm thinking, yeah, all right. And, and once again, Brian is mute. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you know, okay. At the very end, Brian stood up, and uh, he looked out at everybody, and he said, um, the kindest thing that my wife did is she forgave me completely, fully, just like She forgave me completely and fully, just like Jesus did. Forgiveness is always worth it. You first have to know the forgiveness as the gift from the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and accept him as your own before you can actually forgive and be forgiven from others. That's who he is. That's what he wants for us. That's how he wants us to walk through this incredible going into a problem, in a problem, coming out of a problem world. He has it all done for us. All we have to do is join him. And that's my prayer for you today is that you would know his forgiveness first from him alone and that you would in turn forgive your husband and others around you because you allow Christ to control your emotions. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you that we live and breathe in you. You have us here. Our hearts are beating. Our eyes are seeing. And that's only because of you. And we live and breathe in the power of Jesus in us. Lord, thank you for being the life changer. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for giving me the gift of forgiveness so I in turn can forgive as you forgave me. Oh Lord, don't ever let me forget that. Moment by moment, day by day. Lord, I ask that these precious women would know you more and more from this morning would have been encouraged, convicted that something, Lord, that, that they would go home with a nugget of truth, Lord, that you've given to them that they would just chew on and that they would be changed by. And so, Jesus, I thank you for the emotions that you've given to us. I thank you that you created us in your image and that you expect us to be absolutely the best until you come and get us or you call us home. So, God, thank you for the incredible, supernatural power through you of forgiveness, the big old restart button in our life. And, Lord, I just ask that if any of these women, Lord, need to go home and ask for forgiveness, Lord, from their husband, that they would, they would go home and ask it, that they would, they would come to the end of themselves and, and the end of their sin, Lord, and just, or if they... Or if they're stuck in such bondage, Lord, because of what the husband has done to them, Lord, allow them to be able to write those offenses down. To write them down and say, I give them to you, Jesus. And then to write the hurts down that they might have felt rejected or unloved or alone or unworthy. And to write those down and just to give those to you. And lay them at your feet. And so they can start over again with a fresh, clean slate with their husband. Lord, we know that you love marriage. You created it. And so we thank you for that. We want to um, live in the good of that. So, Lord, take us today to that next level with you. And let small group time be so penetrating and so real and so transparent, Lord, because you have so spoken to us this morning. And I praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.